Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Good evening. My name is Josh Habman. I'm the executive pastor at Grace, uh, and I am normally in North Liberty. So if you are new here this evening, this is not your first, uh, this is your first time rather at Grace Downtown. You may not have seen me before. Jason, who is the regular pastor here, is on sabbatical, and so he is out enjoying some much-needed rest. He started as a youth pastor, and then they just gave him progressively more work, and they just never let the guy take a break. Not quite true. But he did need a sabbatical, and it is a good time for rest. We are continuing in a series called Living Stones, and this series, I'm going to go back here aside, this series talks about the lives of men and women who lived thousands of years ago. And so it's easy to look at their lives and say, there's not really a lot in common with my life. But there's a statement here that I think all of us can at least hear and find hope in, which is the one that Joseph makes to his brothers in verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And when we hear that, it's very easy to want to look at our own lives and find all of the evil things that people have intended toward us and know, hey, God has meant this for good. God is loving me and caring for me, and I don't have to worry about these evil things that have been intended toward me because God means it for good. And that is true for those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so that's true, and we should not ignore that. But if we stop there... If that's all we take away from this passage and all we take away from the end of Joseph, uh, his life and his story, then we haven't taken enough because there's a lot more going on. So this evening, I want to I know that, I want to hear that, but there's a lot of other things that I want us to hear as well. Mostly, I want us to see that God is doing something big. He's, he's doing something amazing, something wonderful that's never been done before and he is continuing to do uh, something that he did then, he's doing it now too. So first of all, if you've been here and you've been listening to this, or if you've read the Old Testament, you've seen from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph that God has been making a people where there wasn't a people. Abraham and Sarah were just one couple. They didn't have any kids. And God said, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you a nation, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you, but first you're going to have a son. And then that son is going to have two sons. And then one of those sons is going to have 11. And you see God growing this over time. And now all of a sudden there's a people where there wasn't a people. And now the next couple of sermons we're going to start talking about Moses and Joshua. And you're going to see God making a nation where there wasn't a nation. 
And that's a big deal because that's a new thing. God has not done that up until that point in human history. But it's also a big thing because it's signaling something he wants to continue doing now, even. So if you have a Bible and you know where 1 Peter is, it's toward the end, turn there for a second. Because in 1 Peter, we see Peter describe this thing that God is doing, has been doing since the time of Moses, the time of uh, Joseph, and is continuing to do today. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, just verses 9 and 10, Peter talks to his audience, people who are made up of, uh, an audience who's made up of Jews and, and Gentiles, people who know God, people who don't know God, at least until recently. And he says this in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, that is God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is telling his audience that this thing that God was doing all the way back in the time of Abraham, he continues to do. And you're all a part of it. So I want you to hear that this evening. I want you to hear that God is doing something bigger than just taking evil things and making them good using them for his good purpose. He is doing that, but it's part of something bigger. He is making us a people. He's making us a nation. Now, we do have to grapple with the fact that others are intending evil toward us, because we experience that. That's part of our everyday lives. And in fact, we also intend evil toward other people. And before you write that off, and before you say, well, I don't intend evil toward people. That's, that's not what I do. I'm not an evil person. Hear what we, what we mean by that in a minute, when we talk about what is evil. And then finally, we're going to talk about God's intentions because his intentions are better than ours. So we want to hear what those are. We want to hear what it is that he intends to do even when all of the world is intending evil. If you would just pray with me a minute and we'll we'll continue on into the scripture. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the sun uh, before the songs. Thank you for the songs, for the reminders, Lord, about who you are and how you behave. Thank you for the scripture, Lord, from Psalm 50 that reminds us that you desire a relationship with us. That you don't require, and in fact, you don't even need the sacrifice of animals or us to give up things that we have. All we need, Lord, is you. And you have provided yourself, Lord, the sacrifice that is perfect. Lay down your life and taken it up again. Help us to realize, Lord, this big thing that you are doing that's so much bigger than our individual moments. Help us to see it in your word tonight. I pray in your name. Amen. So when I say evil, what do I mean? Well, most of you are familiar with this story from Genesis, right? This idea that God made a perfect paradise. He placed Adam and Eve there and he gave them everything they could possibly need. And he said, you can have all of the trees of the garden for food. Just don't eat from this one tree. So which tree did they eat from? That one, right? The one, the one spot they were not supposed to go. They went there. The one thing they were not supposed to do, they did. And that is evil. That's working against God's will. It's not dark. It's not scary. It's not a horror film. It's not the things that we equate with evil in our culture, but it's evil in so much as God said, here's good. Do this. This is good. And man said, nope, don't want that. I'm rejecting that. Psalm 14 puts it this way. It says they, and it means all people, people have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And if you've been in the world, if you've left your home, 
You might have experienced this. You might have met people who intend evil. And intend evil in this way, right? Not, not doing awful things to you every minute of every day, but just not doing what God wants, working against his will. Listening to God's voice and saying, no, I don't want that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person. So this is, this is possible that you've encountered this. Joseph has certainly encountered this, and we encounter this in the story of Joseph, of Jacob and his sons. Here's a couple of places and a couple of ways that we see people intending evil toward one another, rejecting God's will, taking their own. The first is Genesis chapter 35. It's just one verse, but it's a whole story in a verse. In Genesis 35, 22, we get the statement that Reuben, who is the oldest son of Jacob, Reuben slept with his father's concubine. He took his father's wife and he had an adulterous affair with her. Imagine, if you will, one of your brothers having an affair with your father's wife. That would cause some problems in the family, right? Wouldn't be well received. You would see that as evil being intended towards your family. I put it up here as people taking from other people because Reuben is the oldest. Reuben stands to inherit everything that Jacob has. And instead of waiting for the inheritance, he does what amounts to saying, Father, I wish you were dead, and he takes his father's wife. And so Reuben has everything at his, at his uh, doorstep, at his, at his feet. He's, he has the whole inheritance coming to him, and he says, no, I don't want that. I want what I want. I'm going to take this woman. And we don't, we don't know anything about that relationship other than what it says in that one sentence, that one verse. But we know that he was not content. We know that he was not content to receive what God would give him. Instead, he took what he wanted. People seek to hurt other people. That's, that's a way we experience others intending evil toward us. Jacob's sons, Jacob's sons plot and scheme against their own brother to kill him. This is another family problem, right? When your children are trying to plot and scheme to kill one another, that's, that's a problematic family. So we've got one brother sleeping with his father's wife. We've got the brothers plotting to kill their younger brother. When uh, we read this story here in Genesis chapter 37, we see the brothers are out pasturing their flock, and they see their brother from a long way off, and they say about him, they say, here comes that dreamer. They don't even call him by name. They talk about the thing that he's done that aggravated them. Joseph had a dream where his mother and his father and his brothers, they bow down to him. Two dreams, actually. And his brothers say, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. They say, no, no, that's not, that's not good. We're not going to profit off of that. Let's sell him. That's better. That's evil intended toward others. In both cases, whether you're taking or you're hurting, you're trying to make yourself God. You're trying to make yourself king in that situation. That's what his brothers are doing. That's what this family is doing. They're not content to follow God's law. Instead, they're trying to make themselves lawgivers. They're trying to make themselves kings and take everything and hurt everyone in order to have what they want when they want it. And so I have Genesis 50 verse 19 up here because this is something that Joseph has to correct when his brothers come, right? The passage that Bo read when his brothers come to him, he says, am I in the place of God? And he has to ask them that question because they have put themselves in God's place. Time and again, they've said, no, I'll take what I want. I'll hurt who I have to to get what I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's what his brothers have done. That's how they've acted. In fact, 
that time when his brothers come to him there at the end of Genesis, they say, hey, dad's dead. I'm guessing Joseph doesn't like us anymore because he was probably only liking us because dad made him. So let's tell him that dad said he has to forgive us because that always works, right? When you have siblings and they go to one another and they say, mom said you have to do this. Always works. Doesn't work. But that's what they do. And there's no indication in the scripture that Joseph ever said to his sons, go ask this of of your brother. They're probably lying. They're probably trying to keep themselves from being harmed because this is how they would act. This is what they would do if no one was holding them accountable. So when people seek to make themselves God, it intends evil toward others because remember, remember, evil is just taking what God has said and rejecting it and saying no. What God wants to do is make us a people. That's what he's trying to do with Jacob's sons. He's trying to make them a people. He's trying to make them a family and they're intending evil toward each other. So this is what others do. We also do this. Sometimes it is Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Sometimes that's what it means for people like us to intend evil. But that's probably not most of you. Most of you look back on today or you look back on yesterday and you think, I was a pretty good person. If I look back on my yesterday, I'm pretty proud of yesterday. I got up. I did laundry in my house. I did uh, cleaning in my house, right? I cooked a meal for my family. I was nice to my children, right? I was a good person. But then Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 5 that good people, good people still think and intend evil. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 is a reference to a whole series of statements that Jesus makes in the Gospels where he says, listen, you've heard it said, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, or love your neighbor but hate your enemy. He says, but I'm going to say to you this. I'm going to say to you this. If you hate your brother in your heart, you might as well have killed him. And if you lust after that person, that man or that woman, you might as well have had an affair. And the same thing is true for your enemies. If you're not loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, then you're making enemies out of every neighbor. And so we can work against God's will without doing egregious, awful things. Without murdering someone physically with our hands, we can murder somebody in our heart. So when I say that we are intending evil, and I'll I'll lump myself in, when I say that I am intending evil, I don't mean that I'm robbing banks and that I'm overthrowing governments and that I'm subjugating people. I mean that I'm intending evil because I'm choosing, I'm choosing these things to lie, to make idols, and again, to put myself in God's place. A couple more stories. Remember these brothers, these brothers that had taken Joseph and they had put him in a pit and they'd sold him into slavery. Later on, when Joseph has been raised to prominence, when Joseph has been made second in command over all of Egypt and he's distributing food, his brothers come because they need food and they don't recognize him. Joseph probably has his body shaved head to toe because that's how the Egyptians did it, right? That's how they uh, culturally represented themselves. So he's wearing different clothes. He doesn't have any hair. He probably speaks a different language. His brothers don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And he's emotionally a mess. He doesn't know what's going on or how to handle it. And so he, he accuses them of being spies. He just wants to stall for time. He just wants to figure out how to interact with his brothers because he remembers the dream where God said that they would bow down to you, and here they are bowing down to him. So he accuses them of being spies, and their response in Genesis chapter 42 is, you know what, we're not spies, we're honest men. 
That's what they say to him. The kid that they threw in a pit and sold into slavery, they tell him that they're honest men. What do they want? In that moment, they just want food. In that moment, they just want what's going to make things easier for their families. And so they're willing to lie to get it, even to lie about their honesty to get what they want. And then they go home. In chapter 42, later in chapter 42, we see them go home and they go home to their father and they're, they're telling their father, listen, there's this guy in Egypt. He kept Simeon, our brother, and he said that unless we bring Benjamin back, he's not going to sell us any more food. There's a famine everywhere in the land. And this is the only place to buy food. And unless we bring Benjamin back to this guy, he's not going to sell us food. And Jacob says, too bad. I'm keeping Benjamin in effect. He says, you all can die. I would rather keep Benjamin here than lose him. So guess what, guys? <laughs> We're not buying any more food. Sorry, out of luck. He's made an idol out of his son. Even though, even though he hears very clearly, this is the good thing, he says, no, I want the thing that I want. And in both cases, again, we see people putting themselves in God's place. God is trying to work good through this evil situation. God is, in fact, doing that and people are resisting him all along the way. People are saying, no, I, I want to take that back, God. I don't want that thing that you're giving me. God wants to build a nation, but this is really hard because we want to be kings. So you know how hard it is in a home when there's no clear leader? You know how hard it is in a job when there's no clear leader? And you know how hard it is in a home or in a job when everybody thinks that they're the leader? And this is the world that we are in, where everybody wants to be a king or a queen. Everybody wants to be God and in God's place and make his decisions for him. And that causes problems. He wants us to be a nation where he's king. And we can't do that because we're trying to be king. So we see people intending evil toward each other. We see ourselves intending evil. Let's look at God's intentions from Isaiah chapter 55. Remember that Isaiah lives almost 700 years before Jesus ever walks the earth. So this sounds very much like something you would read in the New Testament, but this is from hundreds of years before Jesus is walking the earth. And it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. That he, that is the Lord, may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he, God, will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Good is God's will. We talk about evil being rejecting God's will. Good is God's will. And his will is that all men would be saved. His will is that people would stop doing what they're doing that's wrong and turn, repent is the word in the Bible, right? Turn and go the other way. He wants us to let go of those things where we intend evil toward others, where we intend evil even toward God and walk toward him. So this is his intention, that we be saved. That's his desire for us. He's been saying that not just since Jesus has been on the earth, but for hundreds and hundreds of years, he's been saying, listen, I'm here. I want to pardon your sin. So his intentions include things like blessings, care for all people, eternal salvation, so much bigger than what we intend for ourselves. When I started, I said, I don't want you to just hear that God intends good in bad situations and just run with that because it's true, but it's not enough. Understand that if you have a bad day, 
if you have a really bad day and the only comfort that you have is that God has given you good at the end of that bad day, it will wear out. It will be hard the next morning to remember that good. But if your good, if your understanding of good is God's eternal salvation, everlasting life, that is a gift that does not perish or fade. It does not go away and it does not diminish. That is everlasting hope. So understand that when God blesses, it's with a purpose. When God is doing good, even though we're intending evil, it's with a purpose. This passage in Genesis 35 is God talking to Jacob. It's reminding Jacob what he has told Abraham and Isaac, that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a nation. It's bigger than what you're, what you're planning on, what you're intending, Jacob. It's huge. You're just 11 sons right now, but I'm going to make you a nation. It's a very purposeful blessing. And it's going to end up in care for people even outside of your family. This is what Joseph tells his brothers. He says, look, you intended this for evil. You sold me into slavery. You wanted to get rid of me. But God knew that I could help to provide food for not just our family and Egypt, but all of the surrounding nations. They're all coming here to buy food because he used this for good. And so God cares for people even that won't love him. And then finally, he gives eternal salvation. And I've got two passages here that I want to look at for a few minutes because this is the beginning and the ongoing work that he is doing. So in the beginning, it looks like a feast. If you have a Bible and can turn to Exodus, let's turn to Exodus a minute. Chapter 13. Because God institutes this feast when the Israelites leave Egypt. He's starting the nation. And he gives them this feast. And this is the description of that feast. Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 3. It says, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month, this festival, he's saying. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen within your territory. And you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord might be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And you shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. This is the beginning of the nation of Israel. This is what God has been doing that's bigger than any of them understood. And they don't even understand it yet, what is going to happen as a result of this. But he gives them a feast. He gives them a reminder, a memorial, something that they're supposed to do every year at the beginning of their year to remind themselves that God is calling them to be a nation. You see, he wants to make them a nation out of this people that he's called them, and not just a nation, but a kingdom of priests. And they don't understand any of that yet, but that's his plan. That's what we saw in 1 Peter, and that's what he's been doing all along. That they're supposed to be engaged in this work of offering salvation to the whole world. And that you all, if you followers of Jesus, are supposed to be engaged in this work of offering salvation. So let's look at how Jesus does it at the same feast in Mark chapter 14. So Jesus is leading his disciples in a celebration of this feast in Mark chapter 14. And this is the Passover, and this is the time when Jesus is telling them he's about to be crucified. 
So this is the same feast that is supposed to mark the beginning of the nation. And he's telling them now that there's something else that's going on, something big that's going on. At this feast, at this time, he's telling them, I'm doing something that you had not anticipated. Starting in verse 22. As they were eating, he took some of the unleavened bread, and after blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And even though he's told them he's going to die and rise again, here he tells them again. So when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, verse 26. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He tells them that there is something eternal that they had not anticipated, that this nation that he's called them to be is so much bigger than the geographic place where they're living. So when he intends for good, he intends for eternity. And that's what he's trying to tell his disciples, that I want you to be a kingdom of priests who come and go out into the whole world and you bring people in so that they can have this life everlasting as well. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And down, uh, not downtown, we are downtown, in North Liberty this morning, we observe communion. And I understand that next week you guys are going to observe communion. And think about that the next time you take communion. That this feast that was instituted, it was a reminder that, yes, we're leaving Egypt, we're leaving bondage, and God has passed over us in terms of judgment. But also understand that he was starting a new nation, a nation that he wanted to remake for us in the person of Jesus that will go on forever and ever that you all are more than just individuals, that you're a people, and that he's called you to do this work with him, that he came to seek and save the lost, and now he's called you to be disciples who make disciples. That's what it means for God to intend good. It's so much bigger than we intend for ourselves. It's so much greater even than making today good or tomorrow good or ending this problem or fixing that issue or taking that person away or bringing this person in. It's everlasting life. If you don't know anything about that, ask me. Ask Bo. Ask any of the one of the people who are on stage tonight, somebody who's wearing a lanyard. Wyatt's got one. He wants to pray with you. It says so right there. Talk to us. And if you do know, if you have this hope, share it with each other and with everyone that you meet. God has called you to be a kingdom of priests, to minister according to this good will. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this gift. We praise you, Lord, that when we would choose very small goodnesses for ourselves, Lord, that you intend something so much greater. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us when we intend evil, when the thoughts of our heart are violence and lust. Lord, when we don't love our neighbor as we, as we ought to, when we don't love our enemy or pray for those who persecute us, forgive us for these sins, Lord. And help us to remember that there is no condemnation for us when we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, inspire us, encourage us, spur us on to greater things than we would choose for ourselves. We pray in your name. Amen.